0: greatest heroes and fellas I would suggest uh, that if you have children you get that book dads make the greatest heroes because I promise you your wife has already purchased the one on moms are marvelous amen they need no dads ain't too bad either and uh, so those are back there and uh, I mentioned this children's book by my wife and I don't want to I can't tell you the content, it uh, takes too much time, but the stories are great stories. I'd encourage you to take a look at it, especially if you have junior-age children, and uh, the book on temptation, uh, you're going to need the principles in that book, it's not if, it's when, I'm telling you. It's not an expensive book, it's not heavy reading, but I promise you that the principles in the book may salvage you, they may protect you. And uh, so I'd encourage you to take a look at it. The book on uh, Revelation Made Simple by a good friend of mine, Glenn Riggs, uh, in uh, Florida. Very good book, very simple, but very clear, very good book, very helpful. And my wife has got a great book on modesty matters. And I'm telling you folks, we're living in a day where people are so immodest and immoral that they don't think anything is wrong anymore. And the people of God used to set the standard for society. Now we're trying to see what the latest trend is and buy in. We need to get away from that and get back to the Bible, back to those holy principles that tell us what we're supposed to look like as a testimony in the world. Did a good job on the book. It's it's a helpful book. And then I'm going to preach on this tonight, so I won't take time. Uh, to tell you much about it, the book on the insanity of fear, and uh, it's on the panic-demic. 90% panic, 10%-demic. There is a virus created in Wuhan, uh, unleashed on America, designed to steal an election. You can believe that or not believe it, and I really don't care if you like what I'm saying. If you you, uh, don't like it, let, raise your hand and I'll say it again <laughs> right amen but uh the truth is they succeeded at that we don't have election day anymore we've got election month just keep on counting till we get our candidate in with all these ballots that have never been validated and mailed out but that was based on this COVID scare and uh Then this book, and I may preach on this sometime this week, I say preach on it, preach a little bit out of the book on examining our heritage. We have a rich Christian heritage. You know, liberty does not come from man, it comes from God. And our founding fathers recognized that we are endowed by our creator with certain unalienable rights, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Liberty comes from God. 2 Corinthians 3 and verse 17, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. John 8, verse 32, and ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. John 8, verse 36, if the Son, therefore, should make you free, ye shall be free indeed. Leviticus 25 and verse 10, that's embossed on the liberty bell in Philadelphia, uh, it says, proclaim liberty throughout the land. Galatians 5 and verse 1, stand fast therefore in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free. And that great verse in James 1 and verse 25, uh, speaking of the Bible, says, but whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer but a doer of the work, this man should be blessed in his deed. Liberty comes from God, not from government. Thomas Jefferson said, and many of these quotes and many more, Jefferson said, and I quote, there are two enemies to the people's liberties, criminals and government. He said, let us bind the second with the chains of the Constitution, lest the second become the legalized version of the first. And we have watched that happen before our very eyes. But the book is loaded, not with my opinions, and I have plenty of them, believe me. Probably didn't notice that right kind of subtle, but uh, it's not filled with opinions but quotes and facts, historical evidence of the Christian founding of this nation. And uh, you would do well to get it, read it, get it to young people because they have stopped in the public school system, most places they stopped teaching history. They don't teach history at all. They've replaced it with social studies which is designed to normalize sin. That's all it does, tell them how good sin is and how terrible any restriction is and undermines uh, everything this country was built upon. But there's also a book back there on exposing the New International Version. All the modern versions are based on the same corrupt manuscript. They deviate uh, pretty often in exactly the same place. Uh, The NIV is sodomite-friendly. The word is not mentioned once. Of course, there are two of those on the translation committee, and they're named in the book. Uh, Not only that, they are highly offended at the deity of Christ. They tamper with the virgin birth, the deity of Christ, with regularity, and for no good reason. By the way, they always tell you they made uh, it easier reading, right, right? I hear people say, well, all those these and thou's. Well, let's deal with that real hard stuff first. Thee, that means you. And thou, that means you also. Now that we've covered the hard stuff, all those these and thou's, let's see if they actually made it easier reading in Genesis 21 and verse 33, they removed the King James word grove. You know, a clump of trees, like an orange grove. But not to worry, they replaced it with a much more familiar word, the word tamarisk. Because nobody knows what a grove is, and in second grade you knew what a tamarisk was. We have to get the cookies down on the bottom shelf for the children. Ah. Uh-huh. Then, in 1 Kings 10, in verse 13, they removed the word servants. That's a tough one, huh? Servants, archaic word. Servants, really? Maybe it's archaic for somebody to serve, but the word's not archaic. Servant, they removed it, but not to worry, they replaced it with a much easier word, the word retinue. I'm 67 years old, and I still have no idea what retinue is. In Esther 1, in verse 6, in the King James Bible, it uses the word red. They removed the word red. Now, that one I understand. With all those syllables, it's really hard to pronounce. They took red out, and they replaced it with a much easier word, the word potpourri. Song of Solomon, chapter 1, verse 16, they removed the King James word green, but they replaced it with a much easier word, the word verdant. Now, folks, it's not easier reading, and we're supposed to live by every word. It doesn't have all the words. Uh, And I don't have time to go any farther. The book goes a lot farther than that. It's not based on manuscript evidence, although I do mention uh, those corrupt manuscripts of Attacanus, Sanianicus, but that's not what it's about. It lays the King James Bible beside the NIV. It shows you what they chopped out, what they changed, and what they distorted, and it gives you the doctrinal implications of what they did. Pretty well tell you where they're at And uh, so I'd encourage you to take a look at that. And I'm probably not going to say a whole lot about the books after tonight. I'm going to go ahead and tell you about this book as well. Uh, This book on proof of the pre-tribulation rapture has been a lot of strange doctrine. And when I say strange, it's not new, but it's strange to the scriptures. It's in opposition to clear Bible teaching The only book of prophecy in the New Testament is the book of Revelation. I did not say that's the only prophetic utterance in the New Testament. I said it's the only book of prophecy. He told John, write the things which thou hast seen, that's chapter 1. The things which are, that's chapters 2 and 3, the seven churches, and the things which shall be Hereafter and the hereafter begins with chapter 4 and verse 1. The next thing on God's prophetic calendar is the rapture, and uh, it's imminent. There is no sign for the rapture, but you know, the people that take that position, the mid trib, or what they call post trib pre wrath, which is an oxymoron. So, what do you mean by that? I mean, if you say it, you're more, I mean, uh. The two things that are diametrically opposed. You can't have post-trib and pre-wrath. Not possible. Apparently don't know your Bible very well if you use that kind of language. You had and talk about mid-trib, but you can't have post-trib and pre-wrath. Not possible to do. But those people, many of them believe that God is finished with Israel. And I assure you that God is not finished with Israel. Every promise he made of land and exaltation will come to pass in the millennium after the battle of Armageddon. The tragedy is that two-thirds of Israel according to Zechariah 12 through 14 two-thirds of them will die during the tribulation before he comes back and there will be a remnant and at that point all Israel the whole remnant is going to get saved. Going into the millennium but God has a message for Israel in Revelation chapter 7 and Revelation chapter 14. That's where he mentions the 12 tribes and 12,000 sealed out of each of the 12 tribes of Israel. Do you understand the 12 tribes have to do with the 12 sons of Jacob? In the Old Testament, they are spoken of in their birth order. Reuben, Simeon, Levi, and so on down the line according to their birth order. But in Revelation chapter 7, it's not according to the birth order. As a matter of fact, it begins with Judah instead of Reuben. Reuben is the oldest. Dan is excluded because Dan was a center of idolatry. Instead of Ephraim, Joseph's eldest son, replacing Dan, as would be normal, Manasseh is mentioned instead. Because Ephraim was a center of idolatry in Israel. And so God excluded them and he put Judah first. But every one of those 12 names has significance, they have a meaning. And I'm going to give you the meaning in the Revelation chapter 7 order, and then I'm going to put it into a paragraph for you. And if it doesn't excite you, and I know you're not a Jew, somebody might be, but I know I'm not preaching to a crowd of Jews tonight. But if this doesn't excite you as far as what God puts in scripture that's not sitting on the surface, Uh, Judah means praise the Lord. Reuben, he has looked on my affliction. Gad, Good fortune comes. Asher, happy and blessed am I. Naphtali, my wrestling. Manasseh has made me forget my sorrow. Simeon, God hears me. Levi has joined me. Ishakar rewarded me. Zebulun exalted me. Joseph adding to me. Benjamin, the son of his right hand. Here's how it reads in a paragraph. The message to the remnant of Israel. Praise the Lord. He has looked on my affliction and good fortune comes. Happy and blessed am I. My wrestling has made me forget my sorrow. God hears me, has joined me, rewarded me, exalted me by adding to me the son of his right hand. That's the Jewish Messiah and our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm telling you, now that's just that's not even dealing so much with the rapture itself, but disproving the concept. These guys that don't believe that uh, God's going to do anything else with Israel, when they come to Matthew 24 and they find the elect or the saints, which according to Romans chapter nine three times speaks of Israel, when they come to that, since they believe God's done with Israel, they put the church. In Matthew 24, and it is definitely a tribulation passage, we are gone before that takes place. And uh, so I hope you take a look at the books. I don't have time. I I get excited about what's in them. I can stand up here and preach out of these books for hours because I have worked hard, done the research, dug, studied, and uh, it helps me. The more I study to write a book, the more I learn. And I'm excited about what I'm learning. Always. You learning anything? If you're not, you're stagnating. Once you take your Bibles and turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 1. 2 Timothy chapter 1. We're gonna read one verse as a text verse, verse 7. 2 Timothy 1 and verse 7. I'm gonna ask you if you would please, if you're physically able. Go ahead and stand with me. Stretch your legs one last time as I requested this morning. And I must say you did me well this morning. And we get out straight up 12. And I'll get you out straight up 12 tonight if you sit still. I I mean, you know, straight up something. Okay. (laughs) But uh, I appreciate you not moving around during the service. And God bless the service. Now, please listen to me, folks. You don't have services where eight people walk the aisle for salvation when you have a bunch of people walking around. I know you think it doesn't matter. You don't just get up and go get a drink in the middle of the service. I take care of the bathroom stuff ahead of time. If you have an absolute emergency and you have to leave, you can always slip in the very back instead of walking halfway back down and disrupting people twice. I mean, logic can tell you that, but I'm just telling you, you don't have the kind of services that we had this morning. You made that happen as much as anything by not distracting people from what was being said. I want to say I appreciate you doing it and I'm sure the Lord appreciates it and we had a wonderful harvest this morning, but I'm telling you, some of those people would not have made the decision they made if we'd had activity. They get distracted easily and Satan uses every little thing to break their concentration, to interfere with the conviction that they're experiencing. So I'm not just being a stickler, it's not just a matter of why I think what I'm saying is so important you have to hear me. No, there are people here that need to make decisions in every service. And I, you're gonna contribute to the service in a positive or a negative way, please make it positive. And I'll do my best to get us out in good time. I, I'm not gonna take more time than I need I don't stand around jaw in after I'm done when I'm out of material, which never happens. I sit down. Amen. But when I look at the clock and I'm not out of material and say I got to let them out of here. I go ahead and stop then. So please help me. Thank you for what you did this morning. And please do it again tonight and tomorrow night and Tuesday night and Wednesday night. And I believe God's going to do some things in our midst, but we're all going to contribute to it, not just the preacher and not just the musicians. Amen? 2 Timothy 1, verse 7. The Bible says, For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Let's bow our heads together. Father, we love you. We thank you for the word of God. Pray you'd bless to our hearing. Pray you'd help me to think clearly and speak plainly and I pray that you would minister to our need and stir us and challenge us and change us for the glory of God. And we'll praise you and thank you for what's accomplished for we ask it in Jesus' name, amen. Go ahead and be seated please. I'm going to talk to you about the insanity of fear. In Second Timothy 1 and verse 7, the Bible says, for God hath not given us the spirit of fear. So if God hath not given us the spirit of fear, and we are operating in a spirit of fear, I wonder who it is that gave it to us. If God did not, I assure you, it is our enemy who has instilled this fear in our hearts for his evil purposes. God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but he did give us of his spirit the Holy Spirit, The spirit of power, Acts 1 and verse 8 says, but you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. Power, the spirit of power is the Holy Spirit. He has also given us the spirit of love. The Bible tells us in Romans 5 and verse 5 that the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost. He's the spirit of love. Uh, And then... He is the spirit of a sound mind. In John chapter 16 and verse 13, the Bible says that the Holy Spirit, when the Comforter, when he has come, he will guide us in all truth. Truth is sound. Truth is eternal. Truth is safe. He will guide us in all truth. And in this verse, God God contrasts a spirit of fear to a spirit of of power, a spirit of love, and a spirit of a sound mind. So if the Holy Spirit is the spirit of power, then a spirit of fear is the spirit of weakness. If the Holy Spirit is the spirit of love, then the spirit of fear is the spirit of selfishness and self-preservation. If the Holy Spirit is the spirit of a sound mind, Then the spirit of fear is the spirit of insanity. And Israel was suffering from that same kind of insanity before they went into captivity. In Isaiah chapter 1, verses 4 through 6, God says, uh, he's describing the nation of Israel, he describes them as a body. He said the whole head is sick. Well, isn't the head the governing part of the body? And just what do you mean when you say somebody is sick in the head? The whole head is sick. He said the leadership is making insane decisions. Illogical, unscriptural, contrary to anything that would be helpful. Leaders are making bad decisions. You know, in Isaiah 9, verse 16, he said, The leaders of this people err or cause them to err. The leaders of this people cause them to err, and they that are led of them are destroyed. If I follow somebody that's going into error, I will be destroyed. Leaders were designed to protect the follower, not to lead them to destruction. And bad leadership's kind of like an autoimmune disease. Your immune system was designed to aid your body and fight for it. And when that autoimmune system actually turns against the body and begins to fight it instead of fighting for it, brings corruption in instead of warding it off, you have major problems. And that's exactly what bad leadership is like. But he said the whole head is sick, the governing part of the body. He said the whole heart is faint. And the heart of Israel was Judaism. The heart of America is Christianity. Patrick Henry said it cannot be stated too often nor too emphatically that this great nation was not founded by religionists but by Christians. He said it was not founded on religions, plural, but on the gospel of Jesus Christ. He said for that reason, people of other faiths have been afforded asylum, prosperity, and freedom of worship here because Christianity does not make converts with the sword. It is not a political system. Make no mistake, Christ will come back and set up a millennial reign worldwide, but it's not my job to conquer the world for him. He'll take care of that himself when he comes back. Huh? my job to get every sinner saved that I can get saved. My job to get the gospel of Christ to them. So he said, the whole head is sick. The whole heart is faint. What happens when the heart stops beating? Oh, the whole body dies. The heart of America is Christianity. And it is faint this evening. The heart is faint. And you mark my words. If the heart ever stops beating, if Christianity ever ceases to exist or fails, there is no America because of the verses I quoted you a little while ago. Liberty comes from God, and Christianity is the greatest enemy of humanism and the greatest enemy of socialism that there is because God is the source of liberty. The whole head is sick. The whole heart, that's the spiritual realm. So he said the political leadership's crazy. They're insane. He said Christianity is weak and pathetic. He said the whole body's filled with wounds, bruises, putrefying sores, no soundness from head to toe. Uh, I think maybe sodomite parades and maybe this BLM stuff burning courthouses and police cars might be qualified as wounds, bruises, and putrefying sores. An awful testimony of the condition of America. And then he says in verse 4, the Holy One is angry. Psalm 7 verse 11 says God's angry with the wicked every day. huh so well, God is love. Yeah, I know. And God is also holy. 722 times the Bible says God is holy. 120 times the Bible says God is love. God's love is a holy love. And You hear me and hear me well. Calvary would never have taken place had it not been for the holiness of God. The holiness of God demanded payment for sin. And the love of God provided the sacrifice. But you would never have seen the expression of the love of God had the holiness of God not demanded payment. Huh? I get weary of people that don't know their Bible spouting off about the love of God, they wouldn't know the first thing about it. Better find out the nature of God. His love is a holy love, and it certainly exists. His grace is a holy grace, his mercy is a holy mercy. It's not carnal, not worldly. But he tells us that that was the condition of Israel, spiritual insanity. The leadership was doing things that were destructive, but a spirit of fear. You know, First John 4 and verse 18, the Bible says, Perfect love casteth out fear, because fear hath torment. You know, if you're living in fear, you're living in torment, according to the Bible. Perfect love casts out fear. What does that mean? Well, according to John 14, 15, Jesus said, If you love me, keep my commandments. So perfect love is complete obedience. Nobody's sinless, but I can be obedient. Perfect love, which is complete obedience, casts out all fear because when I'm doing what God left me here to do, There's no safer place on the planet than the center of the will of God. I don't care if it's in a war zone. We learned that about David this morning. A war zone that's the will of God is safer than home. You know, Job's a great man. And Job weathered the storms. He went through some awful things. And I admire Job both in prosperity and in suffering. And a lot of people are destroyed by prosperity. They get puffed up in pride and self-destruct. Pride go up before destruction. A haughty spirit before a fall. Other people get bitter because they have hardship. Job didn't get inflated with his prosperity, and he had it all. And he didn't get bitter when he lost it all. He just trusted God through the whole thing. But listen to what he said. Remember now, at this point, Job 3, verse 25 and 26, Job has lost his wealth, he has lost his ten children, he has lost his health, he has lost the support of his wife, who said, dost thou still retain thine integrity? Fellas, it's pretty important that you do, because somebody's needing to borrow some. Dost thou still retain thine integrity? Curse God and die. It's not an evil. Woman, this is a good woman at her wit's end. She entered into the jaws of death ten times to bring those ten children into the world. And she's bereaved of them in one hour. A ten-casket funeral. I can't even imagine bereaved of all of her children in one hour. And what she's saying to her husband is, why do we keep serving a God that lets all this bad stuff happen to us? And he said to her, you speak as one of the foolish women, don't talk like that. You know better than that. Shall we receive good at the hand of the Lord and shall we not receive evil? He was telling her two things. Well, number one, he was reminding her that we live in a sin-cursed world. And in a sin-cursed world, sometimes bad things happen to good people with no logical explanation as to why you couldn't figure it out in a 100 years. what he was saying to her is you think all the bad stuff's going to happen to somebody else and we'll be the exception. We're going to get out of this world unscathed. I tell you, you're not getting out of here unscathed. You live in a sin, cursed world. And it's not all about your personal sin. It's about the effects of sin on the world. But he was telling her a second thing. Shall we receive good at hand, Lord, and shall we not receive evil? He was telling her if God had not been so good to us we would not have had so much to lose. I'm grieved and bereaved and brokenhearted, but I'm not going to be bitter against God who gave me that pleasure to start with. He understood, and he reasoned with her. She needed a man of God at the house, not just in the pulpit. She needed a man of God at the house, and she had one who spoke the voice of reason to her, when her emotions were going wild because of what she had suffered. You know, in Job 3, in verse 25, Job's lost all this now. Lost his health, his wealth, his children, the support of his wife. And he says in verse 25, he said, For the thing which I greatly feared is come upon me, and that which I was afraid of is come unto me. He said, I've been worrying about this happening forever. I've been suffering in fear, expecting something like this to happen. The thing which I greatly feared, I anticipated this evil. I was worried about this. I lived in fear of this. Folks, let me say something to you. It may turn out as bad as you think. It may turn out worse and then nothing you're worried about may come to pass at all. You have no idea. I'm just supposed to do the will of God and trust Him with the outcome. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not on thine own understanding in all thy ways. Acknowledge Him and He shall direct thy path. you supposed to trust Him and follow Him. But Job said in verse 25, the thing which I greatly feared has come upon me, But in verse 26, it reveals some things. He says, I was not in safety, neither had I rest, neither was I quiet, yet trouble came. You know what he's saying? He said, when I had it all, I couldn't enjoy it because I was worried about losing it. When I had my children, I couldn't enjoy them because I was worried about losing them. When I had my health, I couldn't enjoy it. Because I was worried about losing it. When I had my wealth, I couldn't enjoy it. Because I was worried about losing it. He said, I was not in safety. He said, I was safe. But I didn't feel safe. I felt threatened. He said, neither had I rest. He said, nothing bad was happening. But I tossed and rolled in fear and worry. Uh-huh. He said, neither was why I quiet. Everything was going smooth. But I couldn't enjoy it. He said, yet trouble came. Hey, folks, worrying and fretting, living in fear, will not change tomorrow. It will only rob you of today. Matthew 6 and verse 33 said, But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. But verse 34 is the key. Take no thought for the morrow. For the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. He said, don't be worried about tomorrow. Don't borrow any of tomorrow's trouble because you can't change tomorrow. Folks, listen to me. You can't change history, so you better let go of it. Your failures and those who sinned against you yesterday, you better put it behind you and move on. You don't get enough grace to live three days at a time. Lamentations 3 and verse 22 says, His mercies are new every morning. His compassions, they fail not. Uh, Paul said, His grace is sufficient. That's what when he pled for deliverance from a thorn in the flesh. He said in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 that the Lord told him, My grace is sufficient for thee, for in weakness my strength is made perfect. Paul said later, I will most gladly therefore glory in mine infirmities. Uh, For when I am weak, then am I strong. If when I'm weak is when I'm strong, maybe when I'm strong is when I'm weak. Maybe when everything's going smooth, I'm weaker than I've ever been. Maybe I'm too dependent on self. Maybe I don't recognize my need of God enough. Hmm. So he tells us, that Job struggled. He was living in torment. Here's a man who had it all, and thank God. He didn't get overwhelmed with pride, nor did he get overwhelmed with bitterness, but he did suffer when he didn't have to. He couldn't enjoy the good things he had because he was living in fear of losing them. Maybe I'll just, whoever told you you have it tomorrow. Maybe I'll just live this day for the glory of God. Maybe i to just enjoy this day. This is the day that the Lord hath made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. This is the day. Well, some of those days he made, I don't know what he's done, but he knows what he's done. I'm trying to figure out what he's done. But I assure you, he knows what he is doing. It's going to be all right because we know that all things work together for good to them that love God. To them are the called according to his purpose, Romans 8, 28. He made it clear, but I just need to make sure I'm one of them that loves God. the greatest expression, my love is my obedience. If you love me, keep my commandments. Perfect love, casts out fear. It eliminates the torment. I'm in the center of the will of God. Whatever that holds, it's good. You know, Isaiah 26 and verse 3, the Bible says, Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on the virus. Huh? No, thou wilt keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee. Maybe you ought to get your mind on the solution instead of the problem, the creator instead of the virus. If you'd turn CNN off for 15 minutes, you wouldn't know anything was going on. Just quit listening to your religious broadcast and quit worshiping COVID. Huh? Amen. But we have people that are obsessed with the news media and their whole life revolves around COVID. Life's supposed to revolve around the will of God. I'm supposed to be doing the will of God. Doesn't Tell me something, folks. Maybe you can help me with this. What morning was it that you woke up in your whole life and there was not a virus? It has never happened. Just didn't get this kind of publicity. These fear mongers will scare you into submission if you're not paying attention. huh? Fear will make you do some crazy things. You make decisions that are totally unscriptural, illogical, and feel perfectly justified because you were terrified when you did it. I had to. I have to protect myself. You think? You know, Psalm 4 and verse 8, the psalmist said, I will lay me down and sleep in peace. For thou, Lord, only, makest me to dwell in safety. Not the Lord and the mask. Not the Lord and the vaccine. Not the Lord and the social distancing. Not the Lord and the lockdown. Thou, Lord, only. I tell you this, you can wear 14 masks if you want to, and you'll probably die of bacterial pneumonia. But you can wear all the masks you want. And if it's time for you to die, you're going to die. Huh? You know, I never have figured out why Christian people, and I I understand if you're lost on your way to hell tonight, I understand why you're afraid. But you ought to be worried about the thousand other ways you could die. Because there's not just one way people die. Huh? it's appointed unto men if I'm afraid I'm going to die and I said to you this morning I hate to be the one to confirm your suspicion and fear you are going to die it is appointed unto men once to die but to those of us that are saved in 1 Corinthians 15 verse 55 that great resurrection chapter of the Bible he says "O death Where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, the strength of sin is a law, but thanks be to God that giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Victory even in death. And in the last verse of the chapter, in light of this victory that we have in Christ, therefore, because you have victory even in it. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Just keep doing what you're supposed to do and quit worrying about what may happen. You can't decide what happens. You don't know what's going to happen. And I hate to tell you, if it's going to happen, it's going to happen. You know, look, uh, we get where we're scared to death. Back about two months ago, I was in Mount Salem Revival Ground. Went to a prayer meeting. I was the second speaker that night, closing speaker. I went to a prayer meeting at Randy Taylor's office. There's an outside entrance, second floor. Set of steps goes up the landing, and then another set goes up, it's about nine feet to the second platform. We went in there and had a prayer meeting. Two guys come out ahead of me. The pastor, he's about my size, pretty big fella. He came out, and he was along the building side. No handrail there. He stayed close to building, went down the steps. Another guy came out, Jay Hubbard, the first speaker for the evening. He went down the center of the steps. I walked to this extreme side where the handrail was. I stepped off the platform. And when I stepped off the platform, the steps collapsed all of them. There was nothing left to that set of steps but the two plates on the outside. All the steps and the stringers went down. I fell nine feet. Landed on top of that power rubble on one of the boards hit me in the gut. I'm still dealing with the hematomas from that. But I landed. It was standing up. It hit me in the gut. Knocked me back. And I was sitting there a little bit dazed. So I'm never, ever climbing a pair of steps again. Terrify the steps. Are you kidding me? I mean, I wasn't mountain climbing. This was not Everest. I wasn't putting my life on the line. I went to a prayer meeting up a set of steps. It didn't look dangerous. Two guys went down ahead of me. I didn't hear the steps even creak. I explained that I was backsliding. I guess so. That means you're in danger. You better stay off the steps. Uh, look, folks, I can't allow the circumstances of life to terrify me and keep me from doing what I'm supposed to do. Have you been in a car wreck? You gonna quit driving the rest of your life? I've been on airplanes. I was pretty sure we were gonna crash, and you're going by. Man, I was in them when they had storms. It was about flipping the thing upside down. I thought I was going to snap the wings off. Well, I didn't quit flying until they started requiring masks. I didn't quit in fear. I quit in protest. I hadn't flown since March 2020. I've driven thousands. I've always driven a lot of miles, but nothing like I'm driving right now. I'm driving the West Coast and back because I'm not participating in the charade. It's foolishness and baloney. I mean, even what they claim on the CDC website, yet they know how lazy people are They won't read more than 10 words. So they put a statement on their mass work. But if you read 15 pages in, and there are people that even dispute this stat as being true. 15 pages in, do you know what they say the mass did to prevent transmission? 1.8. so we're going to shut the world down give everybody bacterial pneumonia by the way Fauci has amnesia can't remember what he said 10 years ago Uh, if I had a memory as bad as his or if you knew somebody had one that bad I wouldn't listen to what they had to say too much because he said in his report now they've taken this off on the electronic version but there are hard copies of it he said that during the Spanish flu of 1917 and 1918, most people, that's the worst epidemic we ever had in the United States. He said most people did not die of the Spanish flu. He said they died of bacterial pneumonia from wearing the mask in an attempt to keep from spreading the flu. But now masks are a mask, and maybe you should wear two. Huh? I don't care if you wrap your head in gauze. Listen, folks. If you want to wear a mask, that's your business. Some of you would look better with one. Be easier on the rest of us. Uh, but uh, I don't care if you. That's your business. Free, free country. At least the next fifteen minutes. We may get an executive order telling us otherwise before the service is over. Uh, with a furor. The truth is uh, that if that's what you, if you really think that's going to help you, go for it. But I have a God big enough to take care of me. I'm not afraid to die. You know, (laughs) Philippians 1, verse 21, Paul said, For me to live is Christ, and to die terrifies me. He said, to die is gain. Gain. Isn't that a nice statement? Wouldn't it be wonderful if it was true? Now, I do understand you and I don't want to lose our loved ones. We're the losers when they go. But they didn't lose a thing if they're saved. They gained. And the good news is if you're saved, you'll join them not too far in the future. It can be all right. It's okay. We're not of those that have no hope. That he spoke of in 1 Thessalonians 4 and verse 13. We have a blessed hope of the glorious appearing of Jesus Christ, and we're going to be caught up and be with those who preceded us in death. It's going to be all right. It'll be okay. You know, in verse 23 of Philippians chapter 1, Paul said, I'm in a straight betwixt two. He said, I'm pulled in two directions here. I'm in a straight betwixt two, having a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better Far better. Do we really believe that stuff? I mean, it's in the Bible. 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 8, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And in John 5 and verse 24, Jesus said, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, He that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. You know what he said? He said death is the passageway to life. Everybody wants to go to heaven and nobody wants to die to get there. Heaven's wonderful, but I don't want to go. Huh? heaven's better I don't, really we believe it's better and we don't want to go I'm not talking about having a death wish I got things I want to do for God but I'm not going to live in fear worrying about dying I'm going to live in the center of the will of God and if that kills me it'll be alright you may die of COVID I may I doubt it but if I do I was going to die something anyway you know, Lester Roloff took good care of his body. When it's time for him to go home, he had to have a plane crash. But he did go home on time. I saw him two days before he departed. I was in Louisville, Nebraska. Everett Sullivan was in jail for operating a Christian school without a license. I held him a revival. He called me and said, Brother Cor, I'm going to be in jail for defying a court order uh, to shut down the school. He said, you still want to come? I said, you still want me to come? He said, yes. I said, I'll be there. I went and held him a revival, went to the jailhouse, and met with him, had a cup of coffee with him every morning during the revival. On Saturday night, or Sunday, they informed us that on Sunday night, it was supposed to be a two-week revival. And they told us, the authorities told us, they were coming to padlock the church so they couldn't have school in the building. So we determined to have an all-night prayer meeting. You cannot padlock a building that's occupied. It's a fire hazard. So we stayed all night and had a prayer meeting. Four o'clock in the morning, they came. Now, they attempted to get us to leave, and we just kept on praying. Nobody did anything violent. I got wedged under a pew and got a hold of it. Took about four of them to get me out from under there. I got out in the aisle and one on each arm and I backed them up to the Lord's Supper table and went out. So I got two more guys picked pick my legs up and carry me out. We got outside and Greg Dixon and I had a brainy idea. We decided we were going to break the door off because you can't padlock a door that's not there. So Dixon and I grabbed the door and slammed it back trying to break it off but it was an industrial door with them big old bolts in the top and bottom didn't break off. But it did get a little tense when we did that. And uh, nobody got arrested. They couldn't arrest. We weren't doing anything wrong. Huh? They were the ones doing something wrong. Are you listening to me? Pat like a church. Try to license a Christian school. Well, Matthew 28, 18 through 20 tells us that's what we're supposed to be doing, training people, teaching people. Huh? Amen. But I am telling you, this is not brand new. After they got us out of there and padlocked the building, Lester Roloff flew in the next day. Stood up on a chair. This is November. About second or third. It was an election year. He's boys, he said, never been so low in my life. He said, uh, White's running for governor. Looks like he's gonna get it. He says, if he gets in. He said he's closing roll off homes. He said nobody's ever closing them again. He said the last time they did that, they destroyed the lives of a hundred young people. Nobody he said over my dead body. Two days later, when I left there, I was driving by Kansas City, Missouri, and I heard the on my radio, "Let's roll off crash. Hey, when it was time for him to go home, when you see what do you think happened? Well, I don't know. Maybe God protected his testimony. He had a great testimony. But I think he was ready to die to keep the homes open. Huh? And there wouldn't be an America if our founding fathers weren't willing to die to give us biblical liberty. And this soft generation's about to pass it off and give it away because we wouldn't want anybody to be upset with us. And we're products of the news media. Brain dead. Huh? Shoot that television. Be a good starting place. But if you remember in Psalm 56 and verse 3 David said What time I am afraid. Everybody experiences the emotion of fear. But everybody does not live in a spirit of fear. David said Now this is a warrior. He fought many battles. What time I am afraid, I will trust in thee. David didn't say, I'm never afraid. Well, people are afraid to lose their job, lose their income, lose their home, lose their car, lose this, lose that. What time I am afraid, I will trust in thee. Maybe I will lose it. But if I lose it, I'm going to lose it in the will of God. I'm not going to lose it out of the will of God. I'm going to lose it in the will of God. If I die, it's going to be in the will of God, not out of the will of God. All right. Faith always obeys, according to Romans 16, verse 26. The Bible talks about the obedience of faith. So he said, what time I am afraid, I will trust in thee. He said, When I'm scared, I just go ahead and do what God told me to do. That's the safest thing, always. Go ahead and trust him with it and do what he said. Best thing I can do. Um, You say, well, I'm going to protect my family. I hope you're really good at it. Hope you're better at it than Elimelech and Naomi were. Because there was a famine in Bethlehem, Judah. The house of bread. It was the will of God for them. There was a legitimate problem in the will of God. You got this? And they went to Moab, God's washpot, the place of refuse, because there was bread in Moab. So they left the house of bread, the will of God, went to Moab, God's washpot, but they were just going to sojourn. That means they weren't going to set up housekeeping there. This was not a permanent move. I'm just going out of the will of God until the virus is I mean the famine is over. Not going to stay out of the will of God just until the virus passes. Do you really think that it's going to pass? When did the flu pass? But somebody needs to help me with something. When did you ever hear of H1N1 pneumonia? When did you hear of SARS pneumonia? Nobody has pneumonia anymore. They all have COVID pneumonia. I'll be honest, I think I have a COVID ingrown toenail. (laughs) It has to be COVID because there is nothing else. Actually, COVID secured all other diseases. Nobody dies of anything else anymore. COVID first kills the disease, then the person but at least it killed the disease first. I mean, are we so brain-dead we can't see this? I mean, we're two years into this. Are you still listening to these people on CNN? Really? Your prerogative, if you want to stay confused, listen to them. They'll confuse you. They'll have you scared, terrified, hiding in your basement. But you see, you don't believe there's a A virus, yes I do, yes I do, I believe there's a virus and there's a good chance that it was probably developed in Wuhan, or at least tampered with, I believe it's unleashed on America to steal an election and when they found how easy it was to scare people into giving up their liberty, we have to have a delta virus that I think the new shots are causing. I don't know one person. I don't don't know everybody, but I know a lot of people. I don't know one person that got the vaccine that didn't get sick. They didn't all identify. I had a guy in Canada, a good friend of mine, many years. He was telling me how that he got on a CPAP machine, you know, and he said he couldn't breathe, and I guess the old body's just wearing out. And then after he told me this, He was telling me the timeline. It was early April when he got on the CPAP machine. And uh, then he told me before he hung up, he said, yeah. He said, you know, I got health issues. He said, so I went and got the Johnson & Johnson vaccine. And he said, got the first shot in the end of March, second shot first week April. But duh. It was that week that he got sick. Waking up, couldn't breathe at night. Myocarditis. I mean, this thing is not good. I'm not a doctor, don't claim to be a doctor, but I can read, and I have read after probably 50 doctors. Huh? Maybe we got to start reading again instead of depending on a bunch of devils to tell us the truth. Huh? You know, the Bible tells us about Peter... Jesus came to them. Here's the thing. The Bible tells us that Jesus sent his disciples into a storm. He should have checked the weather report, huh? He knew what he was doing. Then he went up in the mountain and prayed for them while they were in the storm. And I love what he said in John chapter 11, the tomb of Lazarus. He said, Father, I thank thee that thou hast heard me, and I know that thou hearest me always. Well, 1 John 5.14 says, and we know that if he hear us, we have the petitions that we desire of him. Jesus said, always get my prayers answered. Huh? He sent them into a storm. Then he prayed for them while they were in the storm. And then he went to them in the storm. And he taught them some things in the storm that they could have learned nowhere else. And then he got them safely through the storm To the other side. But listen to me. Bible said when he came walking on the water, they were afraid. They were terrified. He told them, Don't be afraid. He said, It's me. Peter said, Lord, if it be thou, bid me come unto thee on the water, Matthew chapter 14. And Jesus said, Come. Peter stepped out of the boat, and he didn't sink like a rock. He stepped out of the boat and began to walk on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw the winds boisterous, he was afraid and began to sink. Did you notice that as long as he had his eyes on Jesus, he could do the impossible and live above the circumstances? As soon as he got his eyes off of Jesus and got his eyes on the storm, he began to sink. I'm not telling you that you and I need to be oblivious of what's going on around us, but we probably ought to be a little better read than we are and not be so dependent on one or two sources that can't be trusted. I'm just telling you that when my eyes are on the solution instead of the problem, I can stay above the circumstances. And when I get focusing on the problem, I'll be as full of the problem as I am surrounded by it, and I will begin to sink, sadly. Why well, do you say, follow the science? Yeah, Asa did that. Second, Chron- Second Chronicles 16, verse 12 and 13. Asa was a king, wasn't much of one, wasn't a very good one. Bible says that he was diseased in his feet, and the disease was very sore. And it said when he was diseased, He sought not unto the Lord, but unto the physicians. And Asa slept with his fathers. And they buried him. He followed the science. Now listen to me, folks. There is such a thing as real science, and there's also such a thing as opposition of science, falsely so-called. Evolution is what they call science. It is not science. They tell us that babies are unwanted tumors. They claim that's science. That is not science. They tell us that sodomites are normal and claim it's scientific. That is a lie. Woe unto them that call evil good and good evil that put darkness for light, light for darkness, bitter for sweet, sweet for bitter. I'm not going to follow the science. I'm going to follow God. Huh? And real science does not contradict the Bible because the very word science it speaks of what's observable. It doesn't speak of all these theoretical things that somebody cooked up because they refused to believe in a creator so I have to figure out how it got here. we have to cook something up more bizarre than creation, harder to believe, more impossible. Huh? You know, fear reacts to circumstances. Faith acts on principles that never change. Fear reacts to circumstances that change every 15 minutes. So you're going to be an unstable human being if you operate in a spirit of fear and if you react to circumstances instead of acting on eternal principles that never ever change. That's what gives you strength and stability and peace. I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. God's in charge of the universe. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and they that dwell therein. He's in charge. Heaven is his throne and earth is his footstool. He's the king of kings. I said, he do what he said. It's going to be all right. He said, well, you may die. I well, do no, I'm going to die for sure. I don't know when, where, or how, but it's not maybe, it's sure. Huh? I just want to be doing the will of God Want to do. You know, in Matthew 8 and verse 26, Jesus asked his disciples. Remember now, they're in a storm here. And he asked his disciples. They come to him. He's sleeping in the hull of the ship. They said, Lord, carest thou not that we, we included him. Perish thou not that we perish. Lord, if you don't wake up and do something, you're going to drown. You think? Jesus' response to them was, why are ye fearful? Oh, ye of little faith. Great fear, little faith. Great faith, little fear. And faith is based on the word of God. Faith cometh by hearing, hearing by the word of God. It's rooted and grounded in the book that never changes. You know, in Proverbs 3 and verse 25, the Bible says, Be not afraid of sudden fear, neither of the desolation of the wicked when it cometh. Uh, listen, you think it wasn't scary when the children of Israel watching God destroy Egypt? Didn't God make a difference between Israel and the Egyptians? Well, don't be afraid of the desolation of the wicked. We're living in a country that murders millions of babies annually. That promotes sodomy. I mean, it's running rampant. You got corrupt people. We got the worst people on the planet running the country. Huh? Uh, Wouldn't you expect God to do something about that? So why are you shocked? Why are you shocked? that these wicked leaders all over the world are experiencing judgment, including in our country. You think God doesn't make a difference between those that are sold out to him and this wicked crowd propagating these lies and filth? Be not afraid of sudden fear. Don't be afraid of fear. I think some people don't know what they're even afraid about. They're just afraid of fear. Be not afraid of sudden fear. Wouldn't this thing kind of sudden? Everything's okay, everything's okay. everything's Oh, we're all going to die huh but the desolation of the wicked is going to come to pass, God's going to judge wickedness and I don't have time to go any farther I could go forever on this thing but fear, you say well what's the big deal about fear well according to the Bible Satan uses fear to doom people to hell, Revelation 21 verse 8, but the fearful and the unbelieving, and the abominable, and murderers, and whoremongers, and sorcerers, and idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. He starts with the fearful, the number one thing. Probably more people are going to be in hell because they were worried about something, and wouldn't make the right decision when they knew they should. Uh, you know, not only does he doom sinners to hell, he torments believers. Who live in fear? First John 4 and verse eight, 18. Perfect love cast without fear because fear of torment. And if you're going to live in fear, you're going to live in torment and agony. Even though you're saved, you'll be miserable, not be able to enjoy what you do have. You know, fear will cause you to hide what you have instead of using it. Matthew 25, 25, the parable of the talents. The master comes back and he reckons with his servants and he comes to the one talent servant. And he said, what have you done with what I placed in your hand? He said, Lord, I knew that thou wert an austere man, reaping where thou sowest not, taking up where he didn't straw. I was afraid. And I took it, wrapped it in a napkin, hid it in the earth, and I still have it. Now, you know what that's like? It's like you get in the judgment seat of Christ, and the only thing you have to show for your life is you still have what you couldn't lose, because according to 1 Peter 1 and verse 5, you're kept by the power of God. So you did nothing with what God gave you except hide it. Why? Because you were afraid. Fearful. Afraid. Hmm. You know, Proverbs 29, verse 25 said, Fear a man, bring the snare. A snare is a noose. You put it on a well-traveled trail. The animal walks into the snare. And by the time it realizes it's in trouble, the snare has tightened around its neck. And at that point, the more it struggles, the tighter the noose gets until it chokes the life out of itself. God said the fear of man will choke the life out of you spiritually. It'll deaden you. Are you listening to me? Hmm. You know, it'll keep you out of the fight because in Gideon's day, the Bible tells us in Judges 7 verse 3, God said, now go proclaim in the ears of the people whosoever is fearful and afraid let him return and depart early from Mount Gilead. And he started out with 32,000. Do you know how many people left him because they were scared? 22,000! He left with 10,000. And he said, Everyone's fearful and afraid. You say, well, why did God do that? Well, It's bad to start out with 10,000 against a multitude much greater, but it's even worse to start out with 32,000 and in the heat of the battle be watching 22,000 of them run the other way. It'll steal the hearts of the brave. Better they go now than in the heat of battle. But it will keep you out of the fight. By the way, I do understand this virus is really dangerous because... Recovery rate is only 99.97%. There's three one hundredths of one percent, you're going to die. Now, we won't want that to happen. But if it doesn't happen, I'm telling you, if you're going to die, you're going to die. You can believe that or not believe, but I think, well, God, I'm invincible until God's done with me. I'm going to die, I know that, but I'm not going to die until God's done with me. Hey, listen, I know this will shock you. But Moses did not die of COVID, and he did not die of cancer, and he did not die of a heart attack, and he did not die of old age. The Bible says when God took him up in the mountain, his eye was not dim, nor his natural force abated. He was at full strength. Well, if he was healthy and at full strength, why did he die? Because it was time to die. I'd like to die just going as hard as I can, run, fall flat in my face, and be all right. What a way to go! But we're wasting so much time, so much opportunity. We live in a time where we have the opportunity to make a difference, and the devil knows it. And he has about two thirds of his the people of God paralyzed with fear. Now let me say this, and I'll quit. Now say something else and quit again. But seriously, I'm, I'm going to give you a couple of things. Now, just in case, just in case, you think, how many of you really think these politicians in Washington care about your health and welfare? They're really worried about saving your life. You know, one of the dumbest statements I ever heard in my life, of course I heard a lot, a lot of them out of, yeah, we call him president. But I mean, he said, We're gonna protect the vaccinated against the unvaccinated. That's the dumbest thing I ever heard in my life. I mean, it's just does anybody got a brain? Are they thinking? Does this make any sense? If the vaccine would work, it's a ninety five percent successful at dealing with the problem in the lungs, not stopping transmission. Wasn't designed to do that, and can't do that. Hmm. But, if we're really worried about saving lives, do you know what the number one cause of death in the world is tonight? Abortion. 10 million! 670,000! 908 babies are aborted annually worldwide and you wonder when God told Cain the, the blood of thy brother crieth out of the ground against you the blood of the innocents if we're really worried about saving lives maybe we ought to start with the number one cause of death and protect the most innocent the most vulnerable. And these people applaud killing babies. My body, my choice if you're killing babies. But your body, Biden's choice, that has to do with vaccine or a mask. Neither of which are going to do anything much unless it makes you sick. Huh? Well, ten million six hundred and seventy thousand nine hundred eight. What can we do? Maybe, maybe we can get a an abortion mask. Maybe we need an abortion vaccine. Huh? Maybe social distancing would save these lives. Maybe if we destroy the economy and the whole country. No, all we need is a little bit of moral fiber. And we could save 10 million, almost 11 million innocents annually, worldwide, huh? You know what number two cause of death is? Alcohol-related deaths, over 3 million of them annually. But now we're not going to do anything about that because the government makes too much money on tax. The next thing is tobacco-related. but We're not going to do anything about that government makes more money on a pack of cigarettes than the tobacco company does. I don't think there's one ounce of sincerity in these people, and they have, you, you know, somewhere along the line, you all wake up and realize they're manipulating you. They couldn't care if you drop dead tomorrow. And if you're conservative, they hope you do. just more cannon fodder to get it out of the way so we can move on with our socialistic agenda. Folks, I don't have time to go any further, and I didn't even get started on the book. I get, I, there's probably a hundred quotes in the book, a little thin book, but believe me, I didn't throw it together, and I don't claim to be an expert on anything. I do know my Bible a little bit, but I don't claim to be an expert on medicine, But I know when I'm being manipulated. I know when there's guile. I know when there's a bunch of devils trying to destroy my Christianity and my freedom and my country. I'm smart enough to see that. And this is going to be, when the Delta variant's gone, there'll be the Northeast variant, and then the Canadian variant, and the California variant. It ain't ever gonna end. And it's especially, you watch now, we have midterms coming up. We're going to have another lockdown during midterms so they can mail out ballots to people that don't exist and take weeks to count it until their candidate wins. Then they'll stop counting. I'm just telling you, folks, if you're honest, and look at what's going on. I'm not preaching politics. I'm telling you, spiritually, you've been duped. And they're a bunch of evil people. This is not about whether you're a Democrat or a Republican. This is evil and good. This is right and wrong. This is the will of God versus the will of Satan. And you and I need to stand strong and do right and decide that we're not going to get terrified by our adversaries. And he said, when we're not terrified by our adversaries, to them it's an evident token of perdition. They, they act like we're really lawbreakers because we're not uh, obeying the rule that they made that's both unscriptural and unconstitutional. Uh, so we're the transgressors. Have you watched these people how terrified they are? I mean, I get out of the car at a gas pump, woman ran. I'm thinking, really? Am I that bad-looking? I know I'm big. I look like a polar bear or something. Huh? I didn't have a mask on. <sighs> Folks, what in the world are we thinking? Maybe we're not, but we need to start. The insanity of fear. When people operate in fear, their minds don't work. They go brain-dead in fear. Fear. They're paralyzed by fear, and then they just do what they're told. God help us not to be those people, to stand for what's right, do what's right, and to be aware. Hey, I'm supposed to operate in faith, not in fear. I'm supposed to have perfect love that produces complete obedience, not hide in the basement, waiting. I'm not supposed to leave the will of God and sojourn out of the will of God until... The problem in the will of God goes away. It is never going to go away. The flu influenza is here to stay. They get flu shots every year. How many people get sick with the flu? Well, the average, about 65,000 people average die in America of influenza. Of course, last year nobody did. Because it COVID killed the flu and killed them. Nobody died of flu. No flu season last year. It's COVID season. Huh? I rest my case. God help us to live for him. I don't care what's going on around me. There's a virus. Always has been, always will be. They're danger. There's danger everywhere. You were more likely to be killed in a car wreck coming here tonight than you are to die of COVID. If I look at all the possibilities, I would never go anywhere or do anything. Somebody choked on a bone. Never eat anything with a bone in it again. Fell through a set of steps. I'm never climbing steps again. Come on, folks. I need to do the will of God and trust him with the outcome. And if it's bad, it's bad. Bad things happen to good people in the same cursed world. But I don't need to live in fear. I just need to do the will of God and let life come to me. Instead of worrying about it, because worrying about it will not change one thing. I just need to find the will of God and do it for a lifetime. Live this day, this day, live it for God with all my heart and soul. That's the Satan. Listen to this. I'll tell you this, and I'm going I'm to pray. God told the children of Israel, told Moses, he said, consecrate yourselves against tomorrow. You know the best protection against tomorrow is for me to live a consecrated life today. There's no greater protection that I can have than consecrating my life to God today and going to bed tonight, consecrated, that's the greatest protection I have against tomorrow. By the way, it's the greatest protection you have too. Once you decide I'm going to live a consecrated life and serve God with all my heart, if I die, I die. If I perish, I perish. Isn't that what uh, Esther said? Huh? She didn't, but perish, perish. It's terrible because I'm going to heaven. Amen. I wonder how many folks in this crowd can honestly say, "Preacher, if I died right now, I know for sure I'd go to heaven." Don't think I'm saved. Don't hope so. I'm born again. I know it. If you can honestly say, "Slip hand up." Good night. All right. God bless you. Can put them back down. I want us to bow our heads for just a moment.